Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And I was pretty good at like my personal finances into like my mid twenties, and then I just started feeling grown. I was like, I don't need to listen to um advice. <laughs> so I started making my own choices without consulting with the people who knew best. And as you might assume, I messed up everything, and it really came to a head um, in two thousand nine, and that's when the recession hit. And I I was a school teacher, um, and I've been teaching for ten years. Um, and I lost my job and I had been like a victim of a credit card scam a few years before that, that left me $35,000 in credit card debt. And I'd bought a condo a few years before that. So I had this like condo that I bought for $220,000 and I got my master's for another $50,000. So I had like all of this debt that had recently accumulated within like five years. And then all of a sudden I also have no job now. And so I just, everything came crumbling down. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to Yo Quiero Dinero. This is the start of season four. I cannot believe we are four seasons deep in this. Y'all, you know I had to bring the fire for season four's premiere episode, and I promise you, it can't get hotter than this. I am honored to have the budget nisa herself, Tiffany Aliche, on the podcast today for this episode, number 121, how to get good with money. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you know exactly who the budgetista is. She is America's favorite personal finance educator. Tiffany Aliche is a New York Times bestseller and NAACP Image Award nominee and the first black woman to grace the cover of Money Magazine solo. Tiffany is a trailblazer in the personal finance space. Her monumental Live Richer movement has helped over 1 million women worldwide save, manage, and pay off hundreds of millions of dollars. 
A former teacher of 10 years with a master's degree in education, Tiffany was instrumental in getting the Budget Nista law passed in January of 2019, making financial education mandatory for all middle school students in the state of New Jersey. Tiffany is an icon in this personal finance space, and so I am so honored that she said yes to coming on the podcast and talking to us about her journey, how the recession impacted her, and how she built her way back up from essentially losing it all and creating this multi-million dollar empire that you see today. So if you are ready to learn how to get good with money, do not change the channel. You don't want to miss this episode. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. So I think I'm officially having my Oprah moment, y'all, because we got the one, the only, Tiffany, aka the budgetista, Aliche, on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Tiffany. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh. This is such a full soaker moment for me because you are one of the first women of color that I saw talking about money. That made me feel like, oh shit, okay, so this is not just for like old, rich, white dudes. (laughs) We could all talk about money. So first off, just thank you on behalf of my community and everybody who's been inspired by you for the work that you do, because you really are a trailblazer in all the ways. No, thank you very much. As Verna said, that personal finance for too long has been stale, pale, and male. Like from Hey Burner, right? Your Burner is crazy, right? So she was I like, enough her. of that, right? Enough. <laughs> like we, I'm so, I just love to see, because when I started, there were so few of us. And so I just love how much more representation that I'm seeing. And to me, it's still not enough. So I'm like more, more, more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So your journey has been an incredible one. And I want to start from the beginning. Okay. So for folks who may not know you or, you know, are just becoming familiar with your story, you weren't always this badass rock star <laughs> in money, right? This is not where you started out in life. Talk not us through kind of how you got to where you are today. No, certainly not at all. I mean, I was fortunate that, so I grew up learning about money at home. My my mother was really practical in teaching my four sisters and I about money. Like, here's how you go food shopping. Here's how you stretch, you know, the clothing budget for back to school clothing. And my father, who was a CFO and had his master's in finance and his bachelor's in um, economics, really taught us like like the almost like the school book version of money. Like, okay, sit down. Here's how you budget. Sit down. Here's how you invest. Sit down. Here's how you save. And so I grew up with those lessons, and I was pretty good at like. My personal finances into like my mid twenties, and then I just started feeling grown. I was like, I don't need to listen to um advice. <laughs> so I started making my own choices without consulting with the people who knew best. And as you might assume, I messed up everything, and it really came to a head um, in two thousand nine, and that's when the recession hit. And I I was a school teacher, um, and I've been teaching for ten years. Um, and I lost my job and I had been like a victim of a credit card scam a few years before that, that left me $35,000 in credit card debt. And I'd bought a condo a few years before that. So I had this like condo that I bought for $220,000 and I got my master's for another $50,000. So I had like all of this debt that had recently accumulated within like five years. And then all of a sudden I also have no job now. And so I just, everything came crumbling down. Mm. And I, it was really humbling. I had to, I was 29 going on 30. I had to move back in with my parents and sleep in my middle school bed, which was fun times. Um, <laughs> and as I rebuilt my life, my friends were just kind of like, well, help me. I'm like, well, girl, I'm a mess. They're like, yeah, but you're a mess that's being cleaned up. So show us how to clean up our messes too. And 
So I started to show my friends and then they they brought their friends. Like I would I would have things at my house. And then before I knew it, you know, it was like strangers showing up my house. And I was like, who are you? She's like, such and such friend, 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 friend said I should come see you. And I was like, huh. So then my friend at the time told me you should turn this into a business. And I'm like, can you do that? And I did. I started the Budget Nista, which was, I just was helping women one-on-one really with just budgeting at first. That's why I called myself the Budget Nista. And then it grew into other aspects of their personal finances. And then I started working with organizations like the United Way and Prudential and things. Um, so yeah, social media really helped me grow tremendously. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the Budget Nista was born and, and, and here I am. Wow. Okay. So, you know, it's amazing how I feel like when you're going through these things in life that feel like the end, that, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way you can recover from this, that those can be almost the launch pads, if you will, when yes. you have that hindsight perspective. So, how did you turn this, what, you know, could be to anybody, just this situation that could keep you stuck forever? How did you get past the mental blocks that a lot of mm-hmm. us face when we're trying to get over a lot of financial mistakes that we might make along the way? That's a really good question. And to see, it was really hard. And at first I didn't. The first two years of like, after losing my job and realizing, okay, I'm $300,000 like in debt from student loan debt, credit card, you know, scam debt and my, my mortgage. For, for two years, I didn't really do anything because I couldn't get past it. I just felt like I'm going to be here forever. I'm always going to sleep in my middle school bed. And then I ended up moving with my sister and it was on her couch. I'm always going to sleep on her couch. It's never going to get better because here I am, I'm grown, you know, 30 is grown. And you're like, I'm supposed to have it together and I don't. And it really wasn't until my best friend, Linda, who had been calling me a lot and I'd been ignoring her. As a matter of fact, she called me the other day. I got to call her. I know she's like, Tiffany. So she will check on me. And so she was like, Tiffany, why have you not been picking up your phone? And I didn't want to say, so I was going to, you know, lie, but she could hear it in my voice. And so, you know, like when someone could hear you're upset and, you know, they care about you and they love you, you just burst into tears. And so I did. And she's like, what's going on? I was like, I'm so broke. I'm like, I I lost my job and I can't afford my mortgage and they're going to take the house and all these things. And Linda was like, that's it. You're broke. That's why you've been hiding. She's like, uh, I need to take a look around. We're all broke. She started laughing. She's like, literally, look at our friend circle. She's like, sis, first of all, I'm calling you from my mother's couch right now. Like, that's where I live. <laughs> She's like, the recession happened. Like, everyone is struggling. And I, I, it, I, I don't know why it didn't click to me that people were struggling like I was. And I said, wow. So she, which would, so I tell people to find themselves a Linda. Someone who can help you give perspective to what's actually happening. Because when you're going through it, you feel like you're the only one, that you've made all the mistakes, that you can't get past it, that something is wrong with you, 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 you. So I tell myself, whenever I'm going through a funk like that, that means I've been watching the Tiffany channel too long and I have to turn the channel. So Linda helped me to realize I turned the channel and I realized that there were other people also struggling. So it made me feel less bad and ashamed. It made me feel like, okay. I'm not the only one. It's not a condemnation of my character. It's just, I'm going through a hard time right now. And so mm-hmm. once I was able to like lift the shame, then I was able to see the solutions and work, walk, work toward them. So I mm. tell people, start with getting yourself a Linda. Yeah. Yeah. You need that outside perspective, y'all. Cause sometimes we can be our own worst enemies Yes, and, and we are always going to be our harshest critics. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you have a New York Times bestselling book yes, called Get Good With Money. And so I think for a lot of people um, in our communities, communities of color, mm-hmm. we can think that getting good with money means earning a lot of money, mm-hmm. but we don't know what the hell to do with it after. Yes. Right? So like I, for the longest time, I was like, I don't need a budget. I make six figures. Mm-hmm. Guess what, y'all? I just had more money that disappeared. Yeah, had no clue. No clue. Don't ask me where it went. I have no idea. Um, and so, you know, because I think a lot of people associate budgeting with diet culture, yes. restriction, deprivation. Yep. Yeah, I hate it. I don't want to do it. So we don't do it. Can we reframe this discussion around yes. budgeting? Can you make it sexy for us? Yeah. So <laughs> here's the thing about your budget. Your budget is your say yes plan. Your budget there is to say yes to you, right? Janice is there to say like, okay, so you might, I, I like to think about like your budget, like your mom, right? So you might be like, mom, can I have breakfast? Can I have um, dessert? She'll say yes after dinner. Can I, you know, uh, go outside? Yes. If you finish your homework. 
You know, can we go on vacation? Yes. When we lower the light bill. So your budget is there to say yes, if, when, you know, after. So it's not there to say no, it's there to create safe parameters for the yes. You know, so your mom doesn't want you to not enjoy life, but she's like, sis, if I let you go out there without a coat on, you won't catch pneumonia. Then we all in the hospital. So I'm here to say, yes, you can go outside after you put your coat on. So it's like, okay, so if you think about your budget, your budget is your say yes plan. It is there to say yes to, to you, but maybe it's when you save, if you reduce your expenses after you get a raise. You see what I mean? And so, no, budgets are, honestly, I love a, a, a good budget because it allows me to say yes confidently. Not like, I think yes. And then you come back from vacation and you're like, dang, I shouldn't have said yes. It's like, no, I get to go on vacation with a big yes because I did the when after I saved, if I got my raise, you know, um, when I, when I um, opened up my account and set aside money for it. And so your, your, your budget is there to give you the big, confident Yes, that's the reframe. I am not afraid of a budget. It is not there to tell me no. It's there to give me the yes that I need, but in a way that's really safe and secure. Mm, That reframing is so powerful. And I think another thing that confuses or overwhelms a lot of folks is this idea that there's only one way to budget, Mm -hmm. right? Like I only knew about the zero-based budget and I'm like, there is no way in hell that (laughs) I'm going to be tracking my $1.25 McDonald's coffees. Mm -hmm. Like ain't nobody got time for that. So I'm not going to do it. Is there a right way or a wrong way to budget in your opinion? There's no right or wrong way as long as you do it, you know? So here's some, here's like for those people, because when, when, if your money's really, 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 really tight, meaning that you almost don't even really have enough to support yourself, then you might want to get down to the nitty gritty. So when I was what I call broke Tiffany, right? So that's when I didn't even have enough money for my regular bills. Oh no, I was in that supermarket before we get to the cart. We adding up. I'm like, oh no, you know what? Cornflakes, we don't even need you, girl. Um, let's see. You know, like, so it might look like that at that space where you're like, yo, things are tight and hard. Got it. Right. But Tiffany, now, anybody got time for that? I'm not nickel and diming. So instead, now I budget like um, more loosely. So my budget looks more like, here, here's how much I need to have in my bills account to cover them. I know the bills for the month, let's just, I'm just making up a number, range is about $5,000 a month. So I like to keep about $6,000 in the bills account. So that way, if anything pops up, that's a little, like I wasn't really sure of. So I just be like, okay, here's the, the here's where I'm going to put that money in my bills account, a checking account specifically to pay my bills so that I have two checking, two savings, checking account for bills, separate that money, checking account for spending. So my spending account, I like to keep a few hundred dollars because if I keep a few thousand, I'm going to spend it. If I keep a few hundred, I'm going to spend it. So I'm like, okay, what, what's the parameter, Tiffany? So I like to keep a few hundred dollars in my second checking account just for spending. And it keeps my spending under, under wraps, right? So I really don't use my credit card for random spending. Like if I'm going to go swipe in, if I'm going to go to Target, then I'm like, okay, it's what's on this debit card. I don't have a debit card for my bills, my checking account for bills. So I don't accidentally quote unquote, swipe away my bills. Second, a third account is your, um, emergency or short-term savings. So I say this account should be at an online only bank. Don't keep it at your regular brick and mortar bank because you're going to make them transfers that happen in two seconds. If you have it at an online only bank, that transfer takes at least 24, sometimes even 72 hours to your regular checking account. And it makes your money inconvenient and inconvenient money gets saved. So you want to save, I mean, if the pandemic and quarantine taught us nothing is we have to have a little bit of a stash set to the side. So that's your stash account where you're like, if something breaks in the house, if I lose my job, I like to have at least three months plus how long it take, how long I think it'll take me to replace my income. If you're a nurse, three months is plenty. Sis, they need you. You ain't going nowhere. They're like, no, 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 no. We know you got a broken leg. Can you come into work? Right? If you're an engineer, you might need six months to a year because it might take a little longer. You know, so that's my stash savings account. And then I like to have a long-term savings account. So these are for bigger goals, things that are going to happen in like a year or so. This is also where you can pre-invest, right? So you might say, I want to start investing. So you might start saving in your long-term savings account so that you get up your $1,000 to start investing, your $500 to start investing. So checking, checking, saving, savings. Spending, bills are your checking. Emergency, long-term savings are your savings accounts. And so if you literally, I call it split it before you get it, you can go to your job. And say, hey, can you just put my money into these four accounts? That's budgeting. Like you've already done a little bit of math. I need about this much in my bills. 
I want to give myself this much to spend. This is how much I want to save for a short for emergency savings. And this is how much I want to start saving monthly for my long-term savings plan, right? So then you can split it before you get it and you don't have to do the nickel and dime. So that's the way I live now where I swipe and I'm like, I know already, I'll check. And I'm like, oh, I'm at Target. I got $200 in here. Let's try to keep it to $50 because I want to come back later, you know? <laughs> and so that way I don't count every nickel and dime and penny, but I, I get a general sense of where I need to be. And there's nothing wrong with budgeting like that especially when you have room. If you don't have any room, then honestly, it probably is in your best interest to be a more stickler for the money that you do have. Yeah, love that advice. Okay, so I think a lot of folks tend to think like personal finance, being good with money, mm-hmm. starts and ends with budgeting. But mm-hmm. it's so much more than that, right? So yes. can you talk us through what that holistic picture should look like? Yeah, so this is why I wrote Geek With Money, Right which just hit over the $100,000 sale, 100,000 book sale marks. We sold over 100,000 copies, which just so you know, only about 80 new books do that a year. Of the million new books that launch a year, only 80 of them sell over 100,000 in a year. So Congratulations. Thank you. And plus, you know, I'm a sister and I'm on the cover. So, you know, I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous about being on the cover. I said, are they going to buy it? No, it's you had to be cover. on the cover. You had yes. to be on the cover. <laughs> so, so I wrote Geek It With Money. And the subtitle is 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole. And though I, financial wholeness to me is, to your point, it's a wider range of what to look like when you're thinking about your personal finances. So financial freedom, you get your bag, you know, you got a bag of money, you don't got to work anymore. Most people might not reach financial freedom, at least not in time to enjoy it. So instead I'm like, well, that doesn't seem fair. That seems like, Um, it doesn't seem inclusive. It seems exclusive. I want something that everyone can achieve and everyone can achieve financial wholeness in these 10 steps, whether you make a lot, you're a mechanic, you're a teacher, you're a CEO, wherever. And so those 10 steps are budgeting, savings, debt, credit, learning to earn, because you have to know how to make more money, investing like for both retirement and wealth, insurance, your net worth, like making sure you have a positive net worth, building your financial team, and estate planning. So those are the 10 components to financial wholeness. So when you master those 10 things, you start with budgeting, so that's the basics, and you end with estate planning, you have reached financial wholeness. That means holistically, your life is on track as it relates to your money. Anyone can do this. You can be the mechanic, the teacher, the the doctor, the engineer, the attorney, everyone, whether you're making $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, everyone can achieve financial wholeness and that's why I wrote Get Good With Money to walk you through those 10 steps to achieving financial wholeness. Yeah, it is a journey, y'all. It is not yes. a destination, I would yes. say, right? Because it's like every time you hit that next level, now it's like, okay, you're being introduced to new things you got to learn, new you know, I mean, I did estate planning for the first time at the beginning of this year when I was talking to my husband about quitting my job because I'm like, mm. um, you know, this is like a big thing. We got to have mm-hmm. like a solid plan now that I'm taking more risks. And yes, it feels very daunting when you start reaching yeah. those upper levels, right? Like the investing part, the estate plan. It almost feels like this is for rich people. Like, why are we doing mm. this? So what's the the stigma, I think, or maybe the myth that people have around whether we should even be thinking about things like estate planning? Right. Because some I, folks are just like, I don't have anything. Like, why do I need an estate plan? So an estate plan, people, because people think an estate girl, who has an estate? <laughs> but the truth is you do have an estate. If you have a bank account, you have an estate. Did you know estate planning starts with this at its simplest level? This is how if you don't have you don't think you have an estate, which just means stuff. An estate is just stuff. You know, it could be your your wedding ring. It could be the earrings your grandma gave you. It could be your bank account. It could be your pension plan at work. So I tell people that if for those people who think they don't need to do any estate planning, at the very least, you do need to add beneficiaries or update them on those accounts, right? So anyone who is grown enough to have a bank account, you have a bank account, many banks allow you to have a beneficiary on that account. So let's just say you're 22 and you're like, oh, okay, I don't have any kids. I'm in school, but I have a bank account. I got a few hundred bucks in there. God forbid something should happen to you. You want your Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your sister, maybe it's your bestie to be able to have access to those funds without trouble. You ask your bank, is there a beneficiary? Usually literally online, it's right there. You just type in, oh, ma, mama, you know? So that's estate planning. Estate planning is also like, hey, do I have an insurance policy at work? Oftentimes you do. And you're like, I do. Yes, you do. Go and say, 
do I have anybody down as a beneficiary for my insurance policy at work? Add them to beneficiaries is step one for estate planning, mm-hmm. right? Then if you have children, then you needed a will uh, yesterday, <laughs> right? Because estate planning will say, this is what I want to happen to my babies. Well, I'll say this. If you have minor children, because you got a grown 30-year-old, they are, you know, you might, <laughs> right? <laughs> but at the very least, if you have minor children, um, estate planning is also a will. A will goes into action when you're not here. And it says, this is what I want to happen to my stuff, but especially this is what I want to happen to my children. So for example, let's just say that you happen to live in California and your brother lives in California, your sister lives in New York, right? But you really want your kids to be raised in California. So you might be like in your estate plan, you ask your brother, is it okay? Like if something happens to me, it's not just enough to be like, you be the God daddy. No, you have to officially make it official. Like, would you be the godparent for my my children? Yes. You would put that in your will. So if something would happen, your children would be raised in California, not New York, because you, maybe you don't like the environment of New York, you know? So that would help with that. You know, but your will also at least says what to do with my stuff. Here's what I want to happen to my wedding ring. Here's what I want to happen to my podcast equipment, my laptop, whatever. And then um, a trust is the third level to estate planning. So in order to to have a trust, you should have at least $100,000 worth of assets, minimum. And even then, eh, you might not need it. But if you have over $500,000 worth of assets, you definitely need a trust. You might be like, girl, that's not me. You got a house? Depending where you live, your house might be put you over that edge. People think like they don't have $500,000 worth of assets. You have a whole house, sis. You live in Jersey. I bet you it's worth over $500,000. I don't care what it looks like. <laughs> you live in California. <laughs> I guarantee you it's worth over $500,000. Right. You know? Right. And so like, so if you, a trust, what makes a trust so special is that a trust goes into action now. A will goes into action when you're no longer here. A trust basically is like what's happening this is what happens while I'm still here. So I might say in my trust that um, my sister and I own my house, you know? So when I pass away, the house is still hers. She doesn't have to pay. Um, so in New Jersey, it's pretty inexpensive, the death tax. Like you have to pay taxes on what you've inherited. But in California, it could be up to 50 to 60%. Yeah. And so with a trust, you can help circumvent some of those things because basically you make the rules now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's an irrevocable trust, which is when it's locked in for life unless the people who are part of the trust collectively decide to change it. And there's a revocable trust where it's not locked in in that way. But yeah, so beneficiaries to start, then wills are the next level, and then trust are like the you know like the next level after that. So if you think that you don't need estate planning, you do, because at the very least you should be up updating your beneficiaries. Like like Kobe Bryant, for example, passed away. And one of the things that him and his wife used to do is when their child turned one on their first birthday, they added them to, as a beneficiary to like whatever their, you know, like whatever stuff they had, like, you know, um, life insurance policies, things like that. But we all know that he tragically passed and the baby wasn't one yet. The baby had not been added to the trust. So thankfully what happened is that Kobe, um, his wife was able to petition the court to say, come on now, you know, he wanted this baby added. It's just that we didn't get around to it. Cause we do, we do it on their first birthday. You mm. see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause they had an irrevocable trust, which means it's locked in. So she was able to petition the courts and they were like, well, yes, duh. We don't think that Kobe said, nah, not the baby, you know, that we believe that he would want to have wanted that. So they were able to add the baby onto that. So, but do you see how important that is? His kids are taken care of for the rest of their life. And trusts also allow you to keep things private. So let's just say you want to get into real estate and you want to own all these properties, you know, but you don't want your tenants to know it's you because they might sue you or come after you. You can put their properties in an LLC and then put the LLC in a trust. A trust basically puts it in a black box. Can't nobody look into it. A trust Mm -hmm. is locked. So when you have a will and something happens to you, Everybody, that will is public public knowledge. You put that will inside of a trust. A trust is a locked box. And whatever happens to your assets when you're out here, nobody can see except for the people who were meant to see it. You know, I think this conversation just highlights like how much there is to understand about mm-hmm. money. And for communities like ours that it's just not a normal conversation, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's scary. There's a lot of stigma, especially as women, like who the hell yeah. are we going to be talking about money? I think it reinforces this idea that like the foundation of all of this is the education piece. Yeah. So what's your best advice for folks who are just like overwhelmed, so much information, like how can we get started? 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Honestly, get started slow and simple. Podcast, hello, yo quiero dinero. <laughs> Brown Ambition. So, you know, you had Mandy on already, which is awesome. So I have yes. my podcast, Brown Ambition. There's podcasts like How I Built This. If you're an entrepreneur, um, earn your leisure. Like those guys are doing great. They speak, speak not just to guys, but like to me, their voice is so great for like men of color because they're so like, they remind you of every guy you know from around the way, you know? And so I suggest starting with like things like podcasts, finding your favorite YouTube channel, following your favorite financial educator on social, because you get to get bite-sized pieces that don't feel so overwhelming. Starting with books as well, Geek With Money um, at geekofmoney.com, right? So, but starting with podcasts and, and books to start that process. And, and like I said, YouTube channels and social media, because it will give you like a sense of like, find your face, people who speak to you. This is why I said, we said earlier, it's so important that there are more of us out here because you might need to be like, oh, she's Latina like me. Okay, girl, this is what we talk about, you know, <laughs> because it makes you feel like, because you're going to say something to your community that's going to be nuanced that I might not get. You know, you might be like, oh, like, you know, when your mom, your mother shows, throws a chocolate at, chocolate <laughs> at you. And I'm like, even though as I'm, cause I'm African. So I'm like, I know all about the chocolate to throw. I'm like, sis, we live by that. <laughs> yes. You know, it's a you way of life. Like, yes. You might be like, that's what it feels like when the stock goes down. You're like, oh, got you. But do you see? <laughs> so, so I would say find your faves. It should be more than one, you know, because everyone doesn't know everything. So I like to find faves like, Faves who really lean toward investing, faves that lean toward budgeting, faves that lean toward saving. So find like a kind of a group of your faves, especially via social, YouTube, podcasts, books, and just slowly but surely start to normalize ingesting that information. And so what will happen is over time, it won't seem so foreign to you, you know, and then you'll be able to start to take action. So in the beginning, it's okay to just be an observer and then slowly but surely to start to take action and not to overwhelm yourself. I like to, every year I like to have one financial goal that I, I might be like, this is the year I find a new accountant. That's it. This is the year I opened up my retirement account. That's it. This is the year that like, you know, I find my favorite financial podcast. So I don't overwhelm myself. Like I like to, you know, pick one small goal a year. If you add those things up, it really does add up to a better financial life. Yes, absolutely. 
So I think it's important also for us to understand that like personal finance, is not just one size fits all. Yes. And I think that's what a lot of the mainstream gets wrong. They want to just prescribe the same formula to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, first generation wealth builders, you have folks mm-hmm. who are starting businesses for the first time in their families. You have people who are the first investors in their family. Like they can feel like this information is not necessarily relatable to Mm -hmm. my specific challenges as women of color or people of color. Mm -hmm. What do you think needs to change from that perspective, like the greater personal finance space so that we can have more diverse, inclusive voices? I think that platforms that have the ability to uplift those voices need to do so. So I'm talking about book publishers, like go and specifically look, which it's it's happening because I'm there. I'm seeing a lot of people in our space that are getting book deals finally. Because girl, you go to the finance section in Barnes and Nobles, you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. So only the men know. Oh, the white men. Okay, you know, like now I go in and like and before it was like, oh, they would let the occasional white woman in. Like, okay, a Susie Orman or like um, I forget the other lady's name. Um, Dave Ramsey. Chatsky. Oh, yes. Rachel Cruz, yeah. Rachel Cruz, right? You know, and mm-hmm. it's like, that's cool too, but diversity is not just, we got a woman. No. Yep. <laughs> you know? And so I'm just like, so one, these publishers and things to like, you know, to to create space for other voices. And here's the thing. If they say no, you, if someone won't invite you to the table, sis, throw your own party and have your own table. Because the, one of the reasons why I got my, my book deal, Geka With Money, is because I had self-published like five other books. I, I had my first book, One Week Budget. Then I had the Literature Challenge series. I had literally self-published five or like six other books myself. So when they came to me, they had seen that and said, huh, she, said, she has an audience here. And so it made it easier for them to take a bet on me. You ain't got to wait for nobody. Like, oh, you don't want to create a space? You know what? Let me, I don't even, don't worry about it. I'm about to make my own table, bring my own chairs, invite my own people. But also too. I think it's important, like people like us, once we start to do better, to pull people in, Mm. you know, like I'm a big proponent of that. Like when you read my book, Get Good Money, you're going to see other people of color that I pulled in as experts. That's intentional. Yeah. I mentor a lot of people in the personal finance space, largely women, especially women of color, right? I have Latina um, uh, mentees, black mentees. Um, you know, I've got like, uh, like maybe a guy or two, but mostly women, you know, so like I purposefully, because one, one day, like hopefully soon I'll be able to sit myself down. I want to be more Jay-Z, less Sean Carter. <laughs> no, 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 no. More Sean Carter, less Jay-Z. Less Jay-Z. <laughs> yes. Right. Some of y'all don't know what that means. You know, like I, I, you know, Jay-Z, it was great. He was the hottest rapper in the game, blah, 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 blah. And now he was like, you know what? I actually want to sit down and uplift other people and just do business on in the on the back end. And so yeah. that's what I'm wanting. Like, so I myself have like tasked myself with saying, who can I uplift? Who can I pour into? Who can I be like, mm-mm, sis, I made that mistake three years ago. Don't do that. You know, like here's my suggestion. Here, like I can't tell you how many people that I've given to my my book agent Heather made that connection. Or people who I told how the process goes or or how did I get a New York Times bestseller? Like what the marketing plan was. I actually have like three calls this week of people asking me, Tiffany, how'd you do that? I'm like, say less, sis, I got you. Walk, like walking them through, you know, because that's also important that people who have done, it's important that you reach back and help other people get there as well. You know, yeah. I don't believe in the one and the only um, um, because it doesn't, one, I cannot service everyone. Two, you know, it doesn't make sense. If something happens to me, then what? You know, yeah. and three, I'm not the right fit for everyone. Yeah. You know, and so, um, yeah, that's that's it too. And I think too, like more, it's happening a little bit more now, these production companies or whatever, I'm seeing it more now, but like, you know, reaching, they need to reach out to, to other voices. You know, if, if, if there's a lesson that we should all learn from like the growth of Netflix, right? So if you look at Netflix, Netflix is doing the opposite of what network television does. Network television tries to create the most vanilla version <laughs> of a thing because they're trying to get the largest amount of eyes at one time. Yeah. Right? So on the surface, it's like, oh, I can understand you. They're like, oh, no, not too spicy, not too hot, not too this, not too that. They're like vanilla, vanilla, vanilla. That's why, that's how you get friends that, <laughs> that, um, that is, that is um, positioned in New York City and you don't see nobody of color in New York City? None. That don't make no sense. And none of them have like real jobs and they're somehow all afford apartments. Like what is going on here? No, huge (laughs) apartments. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Right? So that's because they're trying to, they're trying to um, adhere to the status quo, which is white people. 
you know? But Netflix realized, huh, instead of trying to adhere to the biggest amount of people at one time, what if we can what if we can adhere to and attract the widest variety of audience? So if you go on Netflix, you will literally see an Indian comedy special. There's one guy from like Panama. I'm like, there's Panamanian um, comedy special? Yes. He's like, yes. Like you will literally see, like I love, there's a, this, this Indian um, um, uh, like uh, wedding shows. Yeah. <laughs> I love, because like it's so familiar. Like it's so, because me being Nigerian, it's a very similar culture. I'm like, look at auntie acting up. That's my girl. <laughs> right? And so like they have created all of these nuanced, like, cause they are like, we know that maybe 50 million people are not going to watch the Indian bridal show. We don't care about that. We want to have 50 million people on the platform. So we're going to have a bridal show for, for 2 million of y'all. We're going to have a, um, a, a finance show for 3 million. All we're going to have a, so Netflix has understood that if you have a wide variety of choice, everybody comes versus let me adhere to just like the small population that represents like kind of like the middle. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. I love that. And I think what, like you said, we're kind of creating that grassroots movement on yes. our own with the power of social media. I mean, everybody technically has like a TV channel yes. in their phone, right? Yep. So it's, it's a matter of now spreading the knowledge because that's yep. how we move forward as a community. Exactly. So you have a motto that goes live richer. Yes. What does that mean to you? So to me, it actually doesn't have that much to do with money. Live richer just means a fuller, more enriched life. And money is one of the tools, just one of the tools you can use to help accomplish that. So that's okay. what live richer means. Like what is the life that you desire? Do you want a vacation? More, more time with the kids, more time with the hubby, more time with friends, like more time to rest. What does that look like for you? And so that's what living richer is, is identifying how you want life to go and then actively pursuing that. And you use money as one of the tools to help you get there. Mm. Yes. It is so much more than about money, y'all. Money mm-hmm. is just the tool. Yes. So, you know, I love me a good side hustle. And one <laughs> of your topics in your book is learning how to earn. Yes. How did you learn how to earn? Right? Because I don't know about you, but I didn't go to business school. I didn't learn mm-hmm. none of this shit. Like this is the school of hard knocks and YouTube <laughs> and Google. Okay. <laughs> what was the journey for you? So I was for, I did go to business school. Like my, my, my undergrad degree is business and with the concentration in marketing, although I don't remember too much because after that I taught for, <laughs> I taught for 10 years after that. So I didn't really put it to use until years later. Yeah. Um, so it took me a while to learn how to earn. I think people think, I mean, I know we see on social and it's like, oh my God, I made a million dollars my first year. Now, girl, it took me, y'all are, y'all are fast now because social media has helped you. When I started, it took me. I want to say five years to make my first six figures in a year. So if you're feeling like, oh, I'm not, girl, now we're at eight figures. Hello. You know? <laughs> right? So I'm just saying that, like, so I've been 10 years in the game, but I would say, yeah, it took me about five years to make six figures. And then it took me about a year and a half after that to figure out how to make seven. And then it took me maybe like a year and a half after that or two years after that to figure out how to get to 10 million. So eight, you know? So I'm sharing all that to say that if your journey is looking different or slower, that's fine. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you won't end up on the other side. And so what I learned in the beginning, you know, one, I had to learn how to build community because that, that was part of my core business model. But then I learned how to learn how to monetize. You know, like my community loves me, but I wasn't giving them anything. Everything was free. That's not true. I was giving them everything away for free. And I felt guilty about charging for things until like my community was like, girl, we want to buy things from you. You know, so I learned how to first monetize with books because it was easier to monetize physical things. And then I realized like, okay, how do I monetize my knowledge? Because I know a lot of people are struggling financially. So I don't know if I want to charge them personally, but I realized, huh, I can actually charge a business like, or a nonprofit like United Way, which is who I work with first. I charge them and then they pay me to go into the community and teach for free. So I started to recognize like, okay, there are other ways to monetize that are in alignment with how I want to show up, you know? And so I started to do that. Like, okay, speaking engagements is, was another way. I was like, okay, I can charge the, the, the college or university and speak for free to the students. Got it. And then I started to listen to my audience. This is critical and ask, what do you want? And they basically told me they wanted an online school. So I launched the Literature Academy and we've got like 50,000 students and and it makes obviously like, you know, that's, that's where we have collectively, I make um, eight figures a year and most of it is with the Academy. Wow. Um, but it taught me that because listening, 
listening, pivoting, listening, pivoting. And so how I learned to monetize was to figure out what do I offer? What are ways I can make money from this? Not everything that we do, we make money from. I, at one point, 80% of what we did, we didn't make any money from. But even like having your attention. So for example, I didn't know this, but I remember when Ally Bank first came out, they had a savings account, which I thought was great. I remember they, they were giving better interest than anyone. And I shared it with my audience. I even did a survey to see how many people signed up for it. 2,500 people signed up for a free Ally account because of me. I did not know, but Ally was doing a, um, a referral program for each person that signed up. You got $25. Do you understand? I almost wept. Not even almost. I did cry. <laughs> Because I was so broke then. So 2,500 times $25, that's $62,500. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) that's my salary times two when I was a preschool teacher. And so I learned then that like, oh, if there's something that I like, let me see if there's a referral program. So you can even monetize the attention that people give you, monetizing your influence. And so, yeah, that's how I learned to earn. It was just really listening to my audience, really taking a step back and say, what exactly am I delivering? And is there a way to monetize what I'm delivering and and putting it to work? I mean, we're getting business lessons from like (laughs) the OG of doing this personal finance thing. So I'm like, Hashtag blessed right now. Um, I have some more questions for you because I think what scares a lot of people about, you know, entrepreneurship is just this idea of failure, right? Yeah. You got to get comfortable with failure. You got to get mm-hmm. comfortable with getting out of your comfort zone. What's been your strategy for that? Because I can imagine as someone who is accomplishing what you are doing and being in a space where you don't see a lot of people that look like you. Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome comes up, this feeling of like, am I even worthy of what I'm accomplishing? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? It's hard. So I, I try to remind myself, if there's nothing else, I cling to the things that I know that I am good at without hesitation, and that's teaching. So I remind myself, Tiffany, if there's nothing else, you know you're a good teacher. And I know you feel imposter syndrome about writing this book, but the book is an extension of teaching. And I'm like, okay, you're just teaching through the book. I'm like, okay. Then it's like, ooh, I'm nervous about getting on stage. Okay. At the end of the day, Tiffany, you're a good teacher. So getting on stage in this audience, it's just you teaching. So that's one of the ways that it helps is that finding the thing that I do not argue with myself about. And teaching is that thing that I feel really confident. I'm like, you can teach. If you don't do nothing else, you can do this. So then I, I bring it back there and just like kind of reframe for myself that what I'm doing is what I'm already good at. It's just in a different way. And so that helps significantly. Um, Also too, I mean, what helps me with failure is like one, I remember reading this article, hmm, say maybe like five years ago, and it was about the difference between billionaires and millionaires. How does someone jump from millionaire to billionaire? And what they found after doing this study was that billionaires managed failure differently. You know, that they didn't look at failure as failure. They looked at failures almost joyfully because it exposed what was already wrong and now they can fix it. And I remember being like, really? So I try my best that when something goes wrong, like at first, you know, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) it's over. I'm going back to teacher preschool. It's over. Then I would like, then once I get over myself, I remind myself, Tiffany, that was a $5,000 mistake. But guess what? It just saved you from the $50,000 mistake one day in the future. That was a $50,000 mistake. You know what? That saved you from a $500,000 mistake one day in the future. Because I've learned that to try to turn the challenge around and say, but if you had not done this and learned this, imagine what that looks like later on when the stakes are higher. And so that's what I practice. And I, I encourage everyone to practice that, to be grateful for the mistakes and the failures and the challenges, because it prepares you for the greatness ahead. If you don't make the mistakes now, you will not be ready for what's coming down in the future. And, you know, and I also remind myself this, that it doesn't get easier. People, all my mentees always ask me like, well, does it get easier? I said, no, but I promise you, you get better. That's what happens is that think about, I want you to think about when um, you learn how to ride a bike or drive or tie your shoe. Driving is not easier. Tying your shoe is not easier. Riding a bike, it's, it's the same mechanics, but you have gotten better. So it's not, it's hard to you. And so that's what happens is that, you know, as you rise to the occasion, the challenges don't get easier, but I promise you, if you, if you continue to rise to the occasion, you do get better. And so that's how I, I navigate those hard spaces. I mean, I'm going through some right now and I'm just like, but I had to remind myself, this is good, Tiffany. Because you fixing this now 
girl, do you know what this means for the future? I'm like, okay. (laughs) Facts. You know, y'all, it reminds me of like the first time that I started earning money through my own business and I had no accounting system, had no bookkeeping, no clue, did my taxes, owed a bunch of money. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I figured that out when I was like a Mm -hmm. little $20,000 business. Cause with this six figure business, that would have been hella messy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. Right. Because at the time it seemed like, oh my gosh. But now you're like, oh my gosh, I can literally owe 20, 30, $50,000 with the mistakes I make now. So if I, I'm so glad I made the two hundred, $300,000 mistake then. So that way I can be stronger now. And so I've learned to welcome challenges, you know, after I get over the whole dramatic part in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So we have a lot of first generation wealth builders that listen to this podcast. And I'd be curious to know how building wealth has changed your life and your family's life. Because I think a lot of us want to be able to be that spark of change in our families. Yeah. So I, I'm first generation. Like I said, I, I was born in Jersey, but both of my parents were born in Nigeria and they didn't you know, come from like means. Um, and so it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. And you might struggle with this too. I call it post-traumatic, traumatic broke syndrome that it's hard for me to spend any money. Cause I'm like, Oh, but what if, Yep. What if I lose it all? What if I have to go back to beans? What if? And so that part I'm still working through, but what, how it's changed my family's life is I was able to pay off my parents' house, which was like amazing. I mean, do you know the feeling? I mean, that's like every kid's dream, especially if you're a kid of a first, a first generation kid, cause you know, just how hard your parents work to get here, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was able to pay off their house and it wasn't a little bit of money. It was $120,000. Wow. And I was able to write one check and I was like, oh my gosh. And it did not, it didn't, and not that it didn't put a dent in my finances. It did, but not a significant one. I was like, cause my dad said, oh, oh my goodness, will you be, will you be bankrupt? I was like, no daddy, I will not be bankrupt. <laughs> and he was like, are you sure? I was like, I will not daddy. I was just like, it's okay. I'll take it. <laughs> and so, you know, to be able to do that, but also too, like I have fully funded, I have a stepdaughter, her college account, she's 15, fully funded. And now I'm working on funding. I've got two nieces, one, three, um, a four-year-old, and then I've got a five-year-old, um, six-year-old nephew. I'm funding their college funds. That's transformative to let those parents, my, my sisters know I got them for college. But you know, like I've been able to help out friends who, especially during the, the um, quarantine pandemic, didn't have rent. And I was able to pay one of my friends rent for a full year because she had two little ones and she was in a really bad relationship and um, she had to leave for her own safety. And I was afraid she would go back. Hmm. If she could not support herself. And I was like, how much is rent? She's like, are you, are you kidding? I'm like, no, girl, your safety and these babies, there's nothing more important. I was able to do it for a full year. She got on her feet and she's doing good now. Came wow. out, I, I couldn't have done that before. Yeah. And so like, yeah. And this it, even just some superficial things. I was able to go to Hawaii and for the first time I paid for a first class ticket. Yeah. I said, oh, no, no, I'm not sitting up like this for 10 hours. We laying down, honey. And <laughs> I was able to give my sister, it was her 40th birthday. I was able to gift her a trip right alongside me. We both went to Hawaii. I paid for it. And she was like, wait, so um, uh, am I flying fly first class too? I said, yes, girl. <laughs> she was like, I mean, I don't care either way. I'm going to be happy. But I was like, no, I'm going to get you a first class ticket too. But that's, you know, we got to have these amazing, like, um, just moments, you know, and memories we got to build. And so, like, I, I, I used to say I was a baby millionaire until a woman hit me up and said, please stop saying that. Like, she's like, is your net worth a million dollars or not? I said, it is. She said, then there's nothing baby about it. She was like, I know you're saying it because you feel uncomfortable with the title. She said, but when you step into and own it as a sister, as a woman of color, it allows me to know I can do that too. So I stopped Mm. saying baby millionaire. I am a millionaire. My net worth is seven figures and not just like the, the like physical assets, like homes and things like that. No, no, no. I can look into my retirement accounts, my investment accounts and see seven figures, you know, in there. Yeah. And so like, you know, so... Um, yeah, so it's, so it sounds crazy. Like you're a millionaire. You just not buying first class ticket here, girl. I have a, I have a hard time spending money. I told you post-traumatic drug broke syndrome. It does not you know? go away. It does. It's, it, you can work on it. And, and one of the things like if that does help is I, I have a wealth planner, Anjali, who's a woman of color as well. And she is a, I wanted somebody who was a, um, a first generation, um, first generation as well, because you already know you first generation, you're sending money back to your home country. You are, it's happening. I don't want anybody to say, well, actually, Tiffany, you should know. 
abuelita needs money as well. Yeah. Like, you know, she sacrificed her whole life, right? My uncles and aunties, like they, you know, we have to look after them. And so I wanted someone who wasn't going to push back on that. So she completely understands that. But what Anjali helps me to do is I know to do it, but I need that extra hand holding to say, it's okay to spend that on this. Mm-hmm. It's okay, Tiffany, to like, she always tells me if I'm struggling with purchasing something for myself to call her and she'll say, this is how much money we've saved this year. This is how much money your money's grown. You can more than afford that thing. She's like, I'm here to not just do the mechanics behind the scenes, but to also coach you through those choices. And so that's helped significantly with my post-traumatic um, broke syndrome. Yeah. It's, you need that support at a certain level, right? Yeah. And it might be sooner than you think, because I think there's a lot of us who are not only planning for children, right? Who yep. we want to make sure they're on a they're on a better foot than we were necessarily, but then we're also worrying about the older folks. And there's a lot of pressure, I think, on the millennials, on Gen X of like taking care of everybody. So what would be your advice on like, you know, that strategy planning, the whole oxygen mask thing before you can help everybody else? No, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. I mean, when I was broke, Tiffany, I could not afford to look after anyone. And so it was hard because I, I would, since I got my first job in high school, I would give my, my father money and he would send it to Nigeria. We all did. Like whether it was 25 bucks a month, then 50, then a hundred. And then at one point I couldn't afford it. And I was still trying to do it because I didn't want him to know I was struggling, but I had to be honest. And I had to say, honestly, daddy, I, I don't even have money for rent. Like I'm sleeping on Tracy's couch. I don't have a hundred dollars a month. And he, he understood. And some family members will understand and some won't. But if you are not good, nobody else, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. So I suspended that until I was in a safe and sound place. And then as a result, I was able to give more. I was able to do even more. So now instead of a hundred, I could do a thousand. You know what I mean? And so that's what I encourage that, like, you know, being honest and transparent with the people that you're helping about what you are able to do and when you're able to do it. And if those situations change, to tell them, some people will completely understand and some people won't, but that's okay. You know, you have to make sure that you are safe and secure first if you're going to help out your family and friends. Yeah, absolutely, y'all. Okay, what does self-care look like for you these days as a eight-figure entrepreneur? Because I can imagine life is a little chaotic, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so self-care <laughs> looks like, for the most part, I, I would say 80% of the time I get in a daily nap, Cause I loves me nap, right? <laughs> Anywhere from 45 minutes, sometimes two hours if I got it. <laughs> Self-care also looks like I love walking. It's like really like, um, like I listen to my favorite podcast, right? And just like walk and just chill or I'll walk and I like talk to one of my best friends or walk and call my mom or my dad or my sister. So I really like walking, you know, like it's good exercise, but really I just like it cause it's chill and I can't work when I walk. Yes, because yes. you really can't work. Like you can, you can maybe talk and listen, but you really can't work. So I'll listen to also too. That's when I listen to my um. I love audiobooks, so I'll listen to that. Um, also, self care. I'd taken six weeks off earlier in this year because I had not taken time for myself in years, and I needed a break. And so I took six weeks off with the help of my 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 personal coach. She told me I needed to take a break, so I did. And now what I do now is every quarter I have one week fully blocked off. Sometimes I go on vacation, like I just came back from Hawaii, like I mentioned, or sometimes I just stay home. And so now every quarter I have a full week where I'm like, I don't do anything, a full seven days where like I can decide what I do at that time. So that helps. Um, also too, like, you know, making time for family and friends. Like my uh, my sister, one of my sisters lives down the street from me and she's got uh, my niece, Amelia, and my nephew, Roman, and they're four and six. And so they're just like the light you know? And so I will have her drop them off or, you know, I'll go over there or I'll pick them up. And so that's like self-care for me. It's just hanging out with them because they're so fun. If you know, little ones are just like, I call them the crazies. I'm like, what are the crazies doing? She's like, you hear them being crazy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so like that, you know, so that's self-care for me um, as well. Like I am, you know, I'm not really huge on massages, although I'm like, I don't know why. I mean, I like them when I get them, but I told myself, well, maybe I'll try to do something like once a quarter because there's a really beautiful massage place by like, that's not far from me. And it's like so epically wonderful. I'm like, why don't you just come here once a quarter, bring a girlfriend and just get yourself a massage girl. Yeah. Um, So, so that's something I think I'm going to, um, you know, like look into, but yeah, for me, it's just, turning off all social. I've actually, self-care also looks like I've I've taken all the social media apps off my phone. Mm. So I'm more mindful that like I I can access them on my computer, but 
it, it typically if I do that, that means I'm working. Like, you know, like, but on my phone, it's just very easy to get sucked in and distracted. So taking time, you know, I feel like in a really good place right now. I have not always been in a really good place because I've let like business take over everything, but I said, I don't want to go back there. So I've been really mindful and also coaching too has been part of my self-care. So I've got a, a business coach who's great, but I also have a personal coach that's really awesome. She's a therapist as well. Um, she's not my therapist because she's in um, Georgia and I'm in New Jersey, so she can't be, but it's just, it's really great to kind of like unleash some of my hopes and goals and dreams and fears and work through them with someone. So that has helped significantly. Like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Oh, that's how you have that kind of conversation. Oh, that's why somebody reacted in that way. So coaching is definitely part of my self-care. It is an important reminder that you need a whole team of people around you that are supporting you to get to that next level. Yes. So Tiffany, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to close it out with your best piece of personal finance advice for folks who just want to get started and getting 2022 set right. So if I was going to say getting uh, 2022 set right, my best piece of financial advice is to take stock of where you are, honestly, like I have this much debt. I have this much savings. You know, I, you know, this is what my mortgage is, whatever that is, like to to take stock of where you are. And I'm going to give you a tool, a free tool to, to do. So I call it, so I created this tool called My So-Called Financial Life. Some of y'all don't remember that show. On mm-hmm. TV, My So-Called <laughs> Life, it was so everything. Um, so it's, I call it My So-Called Financial Life. And I use that tool to just kind of put all of my things down. And then from that, I say, what is it that I'd like to accomplish this year? Something small, like, you know, I might look at it and say, you really need an accountant this year. Or Tiffany, you really need to do some, um, uh, you need to save more or you need to bump up your, you need to, cause I was like underinsured. I'm like, Hmm, you know, like I need to fix my insurance. So whatever that is, I to taking stock of where I am and choosing one to three things that I'm going to make my priority in, in, in the next year. And so that's what I, I would share with you. If you're, if you're wanting that free document, if you go to getgoodwithmoney.com, I have this thing called, like, there's a toolkit that I created for the book. And my so-called financial life is like, um, I think the link for that, I want to say it's chapter, I'm looking at it now, it's chapter nine. So in chapter nine of, so because the, the toolkit is broken down by chapters, it's all the resources that, that I mentioned in the book broken down by chapter. So if you look at chapter nine, there should be a link there for my so-called financial life. So you can fill that in. What I like about that, 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 um, that document as well is that when I'm searching for, when I was searching for a financial advisor, I use that to help me. Like I would send it to the financial advisor and say, do you think you can help me? So they got a good picture of where I was and was I a good candidate? So yeah, that's what I would suggest is take stock of where you are, pick one to three um, goals that you want to accomplish and, and get to work on them in the new year. Amazing. And we will include that in the show notes. So for folks who want to find out more about you, follow what's next for the Budget Nista. Where's the best place for us to find you? So the budgetnista.com. I am also the Budget Nista on all the socials. I'm on TikTok, although I don't tick or talk much. Um, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I'm probably most active on Instagram. Um, and if you're wanting to get the book and all the free resources, um, you can go to getgoodwithmoney.com. Amazing. Tiffany, thank you so much for leading the charge and really normalizing the discussion around money for our communities. Your work is invaluable. And I just thank you on behalf of everyone who listens to this podcast for what you do. It's so important. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.